If you're listening to this, there's a good chance you work within the real estate investing industry. There's another good chance that you would like to increase the sales of your products or services. Well, you're in the right place. United States Real Estate Investor is a platform you need to place your brand directly in front of your target audience. With our focused, growing audience of real estate investing beginners, enthusiasts, and seasoned professionals, you can continually reach our captivated viewers and listeners with ease. To learn more or to get started today, just visit UnitedStatesRealEstateInvestor.com slash advertising. That's UnitedStatesRealEstateInvestor.com slash advertising. Get ready to increase your brand awareness and your bottom line. Attract clients with content. Welcome to This Month in Real Estate Investing. In this episode, we'll be covering a variety of news items, including NASA plans to build houses on the moon by 2040, while America ponders its own housing crisis, how DeSantis's ban on Chinese homeownership has impacted buyers and real estate agents three months in, and broker commission system that charges up to 6% could face antitrust probe. This is big news in the real estate agent world. Uh, all this and more on this episode of This Month in Real Estate Investing. Let's start the show. I'm your host, James Brown, and I show people how to make safe double-digit returns through our hybrid investing model. Uh, go to hybridinvestor.vip to learn more. If you're watching live, feel free to comment and ask questions. Uh, we'll jump in there and, and answer them if we see them. So, Our guests today are Jim Lee and Chad Whitfeld, and we're still waiting on Lee Fjord. Um, so in that, that order, Jim and Chad, why don't you introduce yourselves, share a little bit of your background investing and uh, what types of investing you guys focus on? Sure, I'll go, I'll go first. Um, my name is Jim. I'm from Southern California, Los Angeles. Uh, I received my Bachelor of Science degree in economics from UCLA back in 2010. I started my career as an inside sales rep um working at loopnet and costar my investing journey begins with a two bed one bath condo uh and now through real estate syndication i've uh, invested in over 600 units in the past two years where i have participated as a general partner and limited partner oh fantastic my name is chad whitfelt just a kid from the midwest did my first real estate deal at the age of 23 as an 83 unit apartment building we've gone through a lot of fun iterations ever since on the gp and lp side today i work with real estate syndication funds and operators um, building out their systems processes and their teams for <clears throat> acquisitions and um, opm so nice good to have you on chad uh, and i know each other from being in a multifamily mastermind that his group ran 
uh, based here in Denver. And uh, yeah, he's he's a hard charger and knows a lot about helping people set up those systems. So good to have you on. Uh, thanks, guys, for being on. Let's let's dive into the news. So first one up from Benzinga, downsizing homeowners hit the jackpot amid skyrocketing property values. Um, as we know, things have changed, right? Uh, I don't know if you guys got a chance to read this this article in depth, but uh, what are you guys seeing in in your markets? Yeah, I've been working with one operator. He does a lot of wholesale deals, and um, he right now he has been finding his own little niche in creative financing, right? Because obviously you have that delta between interest rates from where they were two years ago to where they are now. Yeah. Um, and really he, what he's been doing is solving that problem of people who found themselves in neg negative equity, right? You had a lot of people start from what I've seen, a lot of people start acquiring properties over the last two years, not really um, being well seasoned, well, well experienced. And I think there was a there was a large contingent of individuals out there who wanted who saw the gold mine of real estate, real estate and with interest rates being cheap, you know, started acquiring some single families, whether they're they were going to Airbnb them long term rentals, et cetera, et cetera. And they may, might have been pretty new to the game, um, didn't really have experience as an operator. Now they're in, you know, negative cash flow and negative equity. They're looking to offset those properties. And so he's been filling that niche. Um, solving that problem extensively in the wholesale market and doing a really, really good job with that specifically. Is that in Arizona where you're at now? He is in Arizona specifically. Yep. Okay. In the, in the Phoenix Metro area. Gotcha. Looking for those yep. subject to deals, I assume. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. And he's been locking them up left and right. So it's been, it's definitely been interesting to see that play out for him. Yeah, for sure. What I'm seeing in California, uh, same thing. People are getting very creative uh, with creative finance, subject to, but um, due to lack of housing, um, the counties have uh, eased up the regulation to be able to allow us to be able to build ADU. So that's a, a lot of those are going up in um, Southern California, and people are actually not selling it when if they're able to buy. Uh, back in 2020 for two, three, four percent interest rate at 30 year fix. Um, I'm not seeing much inventory move at this point because, you know, essentially cash has become a liability where, you know, now um, debt has become an asset to keep that long term debt. Um, when the inflation is so high, you're making the spread. So uh, people in California are aware of that. So they're just keeping the property long term. Yeah, that's what I'm finding as you know, I'm a licensed real estate agent and uh, everybody's well, pretty much everybody's having a really hard time because just nothing's moving because of what you just said. So, yeah, in that article, it did mention California specifically playing a big role in driving up the, the prices overall because it was a 50 percent surge in value since January 2020. So it's crazy. Yeah, there's still a lot of people moving in, even though a good amount of people have moved out. Um, there's always opportunities here because of all the entertainment and the weather. That's what mainly what most people come here for. Yeah, yeah, people want to live there. Whether they can afford it or not, that's the, <laughs> the tough part, right? Right. Yeah, have you guys seen those um, 
those like interactive maps showing the the flow of people moving around the country. It's like a lot of people moving out of California just because of affordability mainly, I think. And then there's some politics, you know, involved in that. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> we we don't need to get into that. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> All right. Let's jump to our next one from United States real estate investor. Commercial real estate crisis, severe, imminent crash expected. Um, we talk about this on the show all the time. Um, I don't know if you guys have any uh, feel for commercial real estate yourselves since you're more in multifamily. But, um, you know, high interest rates are affecting commercial for sure. Um, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. They are. A lot of the groups that I've been working with are, have been pulling back on acquisitions, just, you know, walking to that territory of unknown. Um, I think the first thing that comes to mind with this article is a lot of the ambiguity around crash, right? Because that means something completely different to so many different people. And I just have a hard time with buzzwords like that because crash to one person, you know, an, an anxiety driven person crash oh my god the market's gonna end it's crazy don't don't look at real estate da, 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 right and then to the other person i guess maybe me like well really like what do you mean by a crash like is the world is is the real estate market coming to an end are we gonna see you know a 20 percent correction right like where does that really where do you really find the i guess the data behind the the buzzword and so i think for me you know, this phase that we're in right now, I call it the amateur shakeout. I hmm. think over the last several years, real estate in general, it really doesn't matter what strategy you came into the market with. If you're if you're wholesaling, flipping, um, sub two, syndications, et cetera, et cetera. All of all of which had a massive influx of amateur saturation, right? Meaning uh, let's just use an arbitrary example. You're calling Joe in Phoenix for a 30 unit apartment building, right? That's your buying criteria. You call up Joe, you say, what's up, Joe? I'm Chad. I'm looking at deals. Uh, took down a couple in your market last year. He goes, Chad, I've talked to like four guys who told me the exact same thing today, right? You're not really getting that pushback anymore, right? You did the last few years because of that amateur saturation falling out of the market. And I think right now, we're kind of moving into a phase of survival of the fittest. I mean, especially in the commercial space where if you're not a legitimate operator um, capable um, of not only cycling deals on the money side, um, but also just, you know, from financing to even just wanting a broker to work, even having a broker that actually wants to lock up a deal with you and trust you, like you got to be a legitimate operator right now or you're just kind of dead in the water, I think, at least from yeah. what I'm seeing. Makes sense. Yeah, I second what everything that Chad has to say. Um, I, I, I'm in two real estate multifamily syndication deal in the past two year in the past year, and um, I'm seeing that um, I, I'm, I've I've pretty much slowed down acquisition. I haven't acquired anything in the past year, but um, mainly is because to work on operation, and that's what I'm seeing. It's is that right now it's like that what. The Warren Buffett quote says, um, once the tide goes out, you'll see who's swimming naked. And that's what's <laughs> happening in the market right now. A lot of a lot of these deals are going underwater in native negative cash flow because of rising debt costs. 
um, and rising insurance. Uh, I have these multifamily apartments I syndicate are in Florida and the insurance has nearly doubled or tripled since um, a year ago. So with all these rising debt, co all, all these rising expense, um, it's pretty much all we have to do is cut down as much cost as we can and increase revenue in creative ways, right? To charge uh, charge people for more, uh, for parking, uh, carports, garage, or you know, install a washing station, uh, car washing station, digit digitize like laundry mat, and just any any creative ways you can make more revenue to keep the operation moving, um, so that we don't have to go to the next step, which is the capital call. So yeah, that's what I'm seeing. Yeah. Yeah. It's that financing on, on those big projects is a tough, tough one, especially, you know, they're usually what five to seven years and then you got to refi. And if you've timed that wrong in this spot where it's just not going to cash flow, that's going to be a problem, which is people start defaulting, which is starting to rear its ugly head. Then it's affecting the banking sector so it's uh yeah we're in for a little bit of a ride all right let's look at the next one from benzinga nasa plans to build houses on the moon by 2040 while america ponders its house own housing crisis uh this was crazy they're, they're talking about deploying a massive 3d printer to the moon and uh and actually <laughs> utilize the whatever's up there lunar concrete they call it um moon rocks dust whatever and uh, create structures for astronauts and civilians but uh, i don't know interesting 57 million dollar contract was uh, also part of their their plan there Yeah, I think the first thing that comes to mind for me is is really why, right? Obviously, that's <laughs> cool. It's interesting, right? Yeah. But look, we're all here on this podcast, right? There's probably people listening to this podcast. Humans are create creatures of relation, right? So <clears throat> I don't really see myself having much interest in moving to the moon, nor, nor do <laughs> the other people around me. Um, I'm not really sure this holds a lot of weight in, in my repertoire, but it's interesting might be yeah. cool but it is what it is to me it's just whatever <laughs> yeah yeah there's nothing there right like right it, anything any real life plants all that's gonna have to be brought there there's no water it's it's to me it's like more of a, a drag on our already you know tough resource problem down here right? yeah yeah so i get that Oh, what's cool though is uh, the idea of using the 3D printer. I, I, I've been following that technology. It's it's freaking cool. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't know if you guys have been looking at that or even looking at multifamily. Um, I just saw a thing in China. They've got uh, they're not 3D printing, but they're just kind of leg, Lego blocks, basically that they can just plug and play and build. You know everything up to 70 story high rises they can wow. do office it's just it's really cool and they can decouple them and move them if needed so 
Jimmy, you have any comments on on the moon? Mm, not really. The the first thing I th that came to my mind was why haven't they partnered with Elon Musk since he's the one who's <laughs> trying to take us to Mars, right? Shouldn't we be be building thinking about building housing Mars instead of Moon? <laughs> That's that that was my first thought. So I didn't really take too much I didn't take this article as serious as you know um as well. So yeah. Hmm. It was a fun headline. Yeah. All right. Uh from the real deal, hotels taking extended stay battle to Airbnb and VRBO. Um as as we all know, Airbnb's been in the news a lot. Or most everybody's used it or has has invested in those, right? So things are yeah. shifting. Uh, are either of you guys doing anything with Airbnb or know people that are? I know a guy who is. Uh, I think he's got a portfolio of eight properties. Um, a good majority of them are in the Denver metro area. I think for me, one thing I learned from him, like he went through the same thing, right? He went through the whole amateur shakeout period where um, the Airbnb market was flooded, right? Anybody with an open basement was on Airbnb, right? However, he is such a strong operator in the Airbnb space. It doesn't even begin to phase him. Not only does he have economies of scale because he can have in-house management. He has so many of them. He can have in-house management where they're consistently and reliably getting turned, getting cleaned, getting prepared for the next person. Uh, whereas, you know, the amateurs, it's just mom going downstairs and cleaning the basement, right? And I think, you know, as an Airbnb user, um, and just speaking from my own experiences, one really cool thing that he does with his properties is he makes them very experience-based, right? So one of his properties has like a, like a mock-up speakeasy in the basement where you open this, this fake, you know, book bookshelf and mm -hmm. behind it is this beautiful bar with a pool table that's like very 70s themed, you know, and that's just an art, just one example um, but all of his properties have some type of theme. And, and again, he's just an operator that absolutely crushes it. And I think the point being there, going back to speaking from my own experience, like I'm an avid user of Airbnb. Um, I go on multiple, multiple snowmobile trips and dirt bike trips with my buddies. And we always stay air Airbnbs because a lot of it, a lot of that time and a lot of that experience is togetherness. Right. We want to cook meals together. We want to hang out together, have drinks together, um, be in a very intimate space. And then at the end of the night, we can go in our corresponding rooms, get a good night's sleep, wake up and go have fun. Right. And I think as staying in hotels for for that specific instance takes away a large component of the enjoyment of the experience out of the trips that we like to take. And so, you know, I'm just not so sure that hotels are ever really going to be able to replace um that that community experience you know i even even when I, you know i have friends that go overseas to europe or vacation with their family and their folks and they're all staying in airbnbs as well because they want to use that time to be together not yeah. in separate entities in separate rooms of the hotel so um they can try, and I, you know what? Guess what? If this doesn't work, the next thing that these major hotels are going to go do is uh, is is lobby against Airbnb in their corresponding markets to, to 
put policies in place to make it harder and harder for Airbnb's operators to to work. So they're going to get their way either way, I'm sure, or at least try. Yeah. Um, and I think this is just one of their quickest and easiest stabs at it. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like their current model, to your point, like that community, that being together with your friends and family is is the probably the biggest thing. You don't get that with a hotel. The only way they're going to get that is, you know, even like having connected units, you're still, you know, you don't have a, a common space, right? Um, so they're going to have to build something that's more like a, a home. <laughs> well, uh, we'll see how that works out. There's a lot of projects in that ar the article. It does list a bunch of different projects. It didn't dive into the details, though, of how they're trying to or if they're even trying to compete on that level for that purpose. Right. I do know that um, quite a few apartments will reserve two, three, four units mm -hmm. in their apartment complex to run Airbnbs out of. I mean, you, you typically find that in pretty hot tour spots like here in Scottsdale, North Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, I, I know that is fairly common in these in these A and B class apartment buildings. Yeah. It was saying here, uh, extended stay projects now make up 32% of the hospitality construction pipeline. So new stuff coming online. So hey, let's hope it works out for them because I, I don't yeah. have much confidence, but <laughs> yeah, we'll see. All right. Hey, gonna, uh, yeah, go ahead. I'm, 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 yeah. I'm going to talk a little bit from a different angle. Um, I love Airbnb. I'm a millennial. I love the experience. I love, you know, um, being able to like what Chad said, just uh, travel with friends and have our own space and create memories. Um, but I also like to speak from the angle from the hotel side, because I do, I am a globalist from Hyatt, which is the highest tier and I get pretty good benefits. And the reason why I use Hyatt is for, you know, I go, I go out and travel and network quite often. And what I do to cut down costs, usually I use my credit card reward points to exchange for hotel stays. And Hyatt is one of the best hotel that provides that for me. Hmm. And, um, you know, amenities such as like 4 p.m. late checkout or being able to make reservation for anybody um, without you being there, um, you know, complimentary breakfast and food and stuff like that, it's it's really helped me cut down a lot of costs in terms of um, exhausting you know, when I go out to uh, for business expense. So I, I, I like Hyatt for that reason. And um, I think they do a really, really good job of competing against the Airbnb space. Um, so I, I do, I use both of them. I, I get the best of both worlds, so to speak. So I just want to speak from that side of the, you know, the equation, because I know everybody is pretty bullish on Airbnb. And um, just like what Chad said, I think all the amateurs will just go up, get wiped out if you are not um, a resound operator, if you don't take Airbnb as, as a full-time business. Yeah, cool. Yeah, thanks for sharing that perspective. Yeah. Um, Hey, anybody listening in, watching live, uh, post comments and questions in the chat. Let's keep this uh, going, make it interactive. Um, till then, let's take a break and learn from one of our sponsors.
Hey, it's me, Antonio Holman, founder of United States Real Estate Investor and producer of This Month in Real Estate Investing. Are you ready to ignite your financial freedom with what has been called the hottest REI strategy around? Or should I say strategies? Enter Jason Pallister's two-day investment blueprint where you will learn the secrets that the real estate investing community doesn't know because they never had a reason to before. With Jason's two-day investment blueprint, you will learn how to tackle real estate deals with over 40 different strategies, which means your chances of losing another deal nearly disappears completely. In Jason's two-day life transformation intensive, you will learn how to generate more deals, close deals faster, win more deals over other investors, multiply your real estate deal strategies, and much more. Jason's two-day investment blueprint can help you grow your REI business to six and seven figures faster with much less aggravation. If you want to learn how to invest in any market in the United States, even the tough markets, and close multiple deals per month, visit twodayblueprint.com. That's the number two, dayblueprint.com. And make sure you tell them you heard it here on This Month in Real Estate Investing. Don't believe the no more good deals hype and visit twodayblueprint.com today. Now, back to James with This Month in Real Estate Investing. Awesome. Let's get back to the news from The Real Deal. Las Vegas office market hits the jackpot. They're saying um, they have just a vacancy rate of 10.9% down 0.2% percentage points from the previous quarter. Um while nationwide, it's one in five offices. So that's amazing because office spaces have been hit hard everywhere. So good for Vegas. What do you guys know about Vegas and office space? If if you don't know anything, we can just skip it. <laughs> I travel to Vegas pretty often. Um, I would say at least once a month. And it's always... There's always something, some event happening there. Um, F1 is taking over in November. Mm-hmm. There was a NASCAR event that was just um, in September. And so I believe that this article holds true because it's it's booming. It's growing. The economy is growing out there. Um, there's a lot of new constructions. A new sphere just got built. I'm not sure if you guys seen it. It's like a virtual yeah. sphere that's always, yeah, so... Um, yeah, so there's a lot going on, more hotels are being built. So there's definitely, there's definitely a, a um, huge population growth and job growth out there. So I, I believe that, that the office space is, uh, you know, it, it, it's, 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 it's booming as, as the economy is booming. Yeah. It's tax friendly too, which a lot of people like, especially businesses, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're going to have boots on the yeah. ground pretty soon because our... Producer Antonio's moving there. Nice. Yeah. I don't have too much of an opinion. I think yeah. <clears throat> just to echo that, if you, I'd be curious to see the the political climate and the policy that is leading to uh, business friendly environment. And then you know, if I was one of these other, if I was another state, or if I was in the office space in the in you know commercial office in the in the first place i would go and take that data and use that as a criteria of where i'd want to acquire those types of assets yeah 100 um, percent. 
or if you're in, in, I mean, it, look, there's absolutely no surprise that New York, Chicago, and San Fran are not doing great for office space. They're some of the most least business friendly environments. There's absolutely, you know, why would you want to keep your, keep your company in a place that doesn't even, that doesn't seem to really want you in the first place. So, yeah. I mean, I'm just, I, all I can say is I'm just glad to see, you know, these fortune 500 companies being wise, starting to wisen up, right? Like think of all of the businesses who've left California for Texas, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I just think these states and these governments are going to eventually be shooting themselves in the foot when all these no when nobody wants to operate their office there so yeah right on for our next uh news item from usa today an entrepreneur i cannot talk today an entrepreneurial dream former 1930s colorado ski resort lists for seven million um this is the former St. Mary's Glacier Ski Resort. Uh, I've hiked that in the summer. It's, it is a true glacier. Chad, have you been up to that one? I have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I guess I didn't even realize there, there was an actual resort there. You know, there's some kind of structure, but uh, it's uh, 374 acres. Uh, it shut down in the 80s. So it's just been sitting there. I'm sure they're just gonna have to rebuild everything. Uh, if there's even anything there, but I guess they're getting six to 12 inquiries a week. So there's interest in it for sure. And anybody that's been to Colorado to ski, you know, that getting to all the ski resorts, most of them, you got to go up I-70 and, uh, and this is also going up I-70, but it's, it'd be like the first one. So you'd kind of take some of the, the pain out of that drive by getting off before everybody else. Right. So. Yeah. I mean, having, having been an avid snowboarder in Colorado for better part of seven years, the first thing that comes to mind for me is, is really what led to the unsustainability in the 90s, in the eighties, mm -hmm. because, you know, you got endless, 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 you got outdoora, Brack, you know, ski coop, like it, the list goes on and on and on and on. Yeah. Right? Was it really, you weren't on, you weren't unable to sustain it or did you just get absolutely smoked out of the market by Vail resorts? Right. Yeah. Cause you know, I mean the terrain, terrain, the variety of terrain, yeah. you know, and levels like greens to blacks, you get all that right. with a, a big resort like Vail, but St. Mary's, I don't know that there's, <laughs> what the variety is going to be right so yeah and you know furthermore like Vail resorts just has such a stronghold on the ski industry and in the and to begin with i mean if you go look at all of the ski resorts owned by Vail resorts it's it's absolutely endless and so you buy their pass and you get access to all of them um same with icon you know that's their largest competitor and i just think with two major operators like I think it's a deal for them and I, you know, like, yeah. 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 Maybe one of those will gobble it up. You know, I wouldn't be surprised. It'd be like without going down the rabbit hole of ski resorts too much on the show, just like you've got Loveland ski area. That's the first one currently 
Uh, besides Echo Mountain, which is a small, smaller resort, kind of probably would, would be similar where they got Jib Park, you know, for snowboarders and skiers. Um, so it'd be maybe like that or just take take your kids up there to learn skiing. Because I know a lot of people do that. Just go to Loveland. So, yeah, interesting. Well, hey, guess what? We have Lee Ford. Fjord? Ford? How do you say it, Lee? Fjord. Yeah, it's like Fjord. a yeah instead of a ja. Yeah, yeah. I've been to fjords. <laughs> oh, yeah. They're beautiful. You know, okay. uh, inlets from the ocean surrounded by mountains. And uh, I jumped in late. I had another meeting run long. Yep. And the uh, you were talking about Epic Mountains. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm an Epic's annual ski pass holder. And our home mountain is uh, North Star in Tahoe, California. Oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, hey, since you just jumped in, uh, give everybody a little background on where you live, well, obviously there, um, and what you do in investing. Yep. Uh, I am a full-time multifamily real estate syndicator. I help uh, private investors invest into real assets without having to be a landlord. I am based out of St. Louis, Missouri. I have about 50 million assets under management today, uh, part of a team that has around 350 million uh, in you know separate piles. But I control and run and asset manage the portfolio that makes up about 50 million of, of that. And in Missouri and Arkansas, we own about oh, 350 units in uh, Missouri. And we own about just under 300, well, yeah, about quite a few hundred units in Arkansas. So anyways, I'm doing my math all wrong, but anyways, it's about it's about 700 apartments to date. And uh, we like Northwest Arkansas and uh, and Fayetteville uh, is where we just recently purchased property. I have another property under contract in Atlanta as well. Okay, yeah, I'll yeah. have to follow up with some other conversations on that. We're yeah, actually looking at- a broker, so thank God I don't do that anymore, but yeah. So anyways, I used to be one of those cold calling brokers like, hey, would you like to sell your property? Don't do that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like Chad was talking earlier, these brokers get hammered with inquiries from a lot of amateurs. So, oh, yeah. It's yeah. funny when when you are the broker, it goes in two directions where it's like you're the broker hammering other people, owners of property yeah. for listings. And you're getting hammered by buyers who are inexperienced and go, hey, bring me your off-market deals. And it's like, great. Have you ever closed a deal before? And uh, no, but I'm partnered with another guy who I met at a networking group. And but I've never done a deal. And he told me that if I brought him a great deal, that we would be able to close it. And it's like, yeah, uh, hold for Mr. Click. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Um, nice. We should catch up after this. Uh, I want to talk to you more about St. Louis. We're we're mainly focused in single family uh, in the Colorado market, but giving our investors some lower priced options. We're looking at St. Louis, and we've got a, a partner that's out there. He's bought quite a few just regular rentals, but we're in the rent to own lease option space, so. Looking uh, yeah. at that, but also pivoting to giving our investors options to invest in in multifamily and other bigger asset classes. 
St. Louis is a great town. You just have to know where to invest and where to avoid. And if you are going to go into those neighborhoods that are a little bit harder, you have to have a very strong property manager, you know, who's going to be able to hold the tenant accountable to the terms of the lease. That's that's the hard part. A hundred percent. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I bet lease to purchase would be a great strategy here in St. Louis as well, because then you probably avoid a number of those issues. If they don't pay, you foreclose, you know, that kind of thing. And I bet they don't want to do that because they probably put down a sizable down payment. Exactly. We got money up front, have them handling maintenance and maintenance and repairs. Yeah. So uh, we don't have to foreclose, though, if we do a lease option. It's just an eviction. Oh, OK. If, yeah, if we do, you know, seller finance contract for deed land contract then it's a foreclosure so and we can go that way but we typically just do leases with an option so it makes a lot of sense yeah, yeah. actually um, yeah antonio our our producers from there from that area as well so yeah I, um, I, I really like it. I live right in the center of the city so have opportunity to be able to get all around town and we also have Oh, 25 doors that we own here in St. Louis that are just like ours with no investors or anything and do a mixture of long-term rental, mid-term rental and short-term rental in those. So, yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, hey, let's keep things moving from NBC News. How DeSantis's ban on Chinese home ownership has impacted buyers and real estate agents three months in. Um, I don't, Lee, do you have the notes for that pulled up? Uh, I don't have that pulled up. Yeah. Okay. So you can follow along with, with what we're doing. So, um, yeah, did, did either of the other guys read this, this ban on Chinese home ownership? And what are your thoughts on that? As a former, you know, um florida resident i can see why they would want to that i lived in florida for 15 years um one of the places where i lived was in orlando florida where that's a really big demand you know they like to buy in you know out of country investors love to buy in markets that they know about you yeah. know markets like new york miami uh orlando you know where everybody knows disneyland so then when they're thinking about where they would want to buy a property they would think about you know miami or orlando because they've heard of it before and it makes a lot of sense i would imagine from a from a inventory standpoint it probably constrains it but at the end of the day there's a lot of people who are you know are in-country investors or it, from other countries than China that would probably be uh, good quality buyers to buy those same properties anyways. Um, you know, I'm, I think that we have to control the flow of capital and who owns the real estate in our country as a whole, generally. Uh, there's laws in place for that for a reason. I don't know how extreme you really want to take it as like designated like one country is not allowed and other countries are, but you know, I think that's there's a reason why he chose to not allow, you know, Chinese investors to come in and acquire more assets in Florida. Um, but yeah, I mean, don't have like a specific opinion. I mean, there's plenty of other countries that come to specifically Florida and buy up tons of real estate other than yeah. other than just China. Yeah. Um, you know, folks from 
all over the world come to Florida and buy assets. Um, you know, Brazilians love Brazilians, you know, with oil money, love Florida. They love coming and buying that, buying real estate in Florida. Yeah. 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 No, we've got an investor, um, a pool of investors from Argentina and they just got the blinders on. They just want to buy in Miami because that's what, what they know. That's where they like to go vacation. So we, yeah, we talk about like Minnesota where we've got a partner. They're like, what, what's that? <laughs> I have no interest. Like, well, let's, let's show you some reasons why kind of have to open up their eyes. Another thing that the article kind of pointed out is that they're wanting to restrict Chinese that don't live here. If they live here, that's another thing. But, um, and we've talked about this on the show. It's come up in other, other news items. Um, they're kind of worried about security too. I don't know if it's so much xenophobic, just like we don't want Chinese or what, whatever nationality. It's just, they're, they're worried about, you know, buying close to airports, um, military facilities, that kind of thing. So they're just kind of being cautious, but there could be a lot more going on here. And apparently, you know, they're kind of working through this and it's very ambiguous what, what they're doing and what they're thinking. So, yeah, the other guys have their comments on it. Yeah. From what I understand that, the Chinese out of, out of all of the out of country buyers, the Chinese are going to be the most aggressive. Um, I've actually lost deals to, to Chinese groups of investors. And um, the reasoning that I, that we inferred from a lot of this was simply because they're willing to overpay and get next to no return on their money because the value prop for them is just simply getting their wealth out of, out of uh, the CCP, hmm. the Chinese communist party. Right. So they're willing to to drive that competition to the nth degree that other people are just like, yeah, I'm good. Take it. It doesn't make sense to me, you know, because they have that alternative uh, value prop in that type of transaction for them. Yeah. I know um, I had a buddy wanting to buy a place. He works for Google, lives in San, San Francisco and rents in the city um, or had rented for a long time. And both there and Vancouver, BC, uh, a lot of Chinese were going in and just paying cash and just outbidding everybody just way yeah. over paying. They're like, what is going on here? He just wanted to buy a home for himself. <laughs> He's get, getting a little frustrated. But yeah, it's interesting to hear what's going on in the background with their thinking for doing that. And the same with the You can't the blame them either. Yeah. There's also you know, ghost like you just cities. can't blame them. Have you guys heard of their ghost cities? Just like cities yeah, cities of empty, empty empty condos, like everywhere, just empty yeah. cities that they went and purchased, but then they're just holding on to it for future future growth, like pre buying out condos for future growth in an area that hasn't you know quite gotten there yet. Yeah. I, I still don't have my head around it. I remember, you know, reading up on that and there, there was some other kind of backwards thinking reasoning on that, but I, I can't cough that back up, unfortunately. So, uh, Oh, I guess uh, they've started demolishing some of those 
ghost buildings, apparently. Just saw in the mm -hmm. chat. That's interesting. Hmm. I don't know. Interesting. Uh, Jim, you have any comments on that? You're all quiet. Maybe his mic's not working. He's frozen. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's having problems. He keeps getting... Uh, oh, there he is. Are you, are you asking me uh, for my opinion? Oh, yeah, yeah. So I when I read that article, I was thinking um, if DeSantis is just targeting China, the group of Chinese people. Um, first, it's because I know, you know, the Chinese people, they buy everything you guys said is valid. Um, but they also put in a regulation in China that only per household, they can only bring 50,000 over now to United States uh, per year, oh. I think. So they put that regulation in place. So it's harder for Chinese people to buy properties, invest in real estate out here. But second, I know a lot of, just like you guys said, I know a lot of Cubans, uh, Brazilians, and um, some, 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 some Bolivians too, uh, wealthy, rich, um, uh, South American, Central Americans. They, they love to invest in Florida. They own a lot of real estate out there. So, um, I'm curious, why is it just specifically Chinese? Why not just the whole, you know, South America, Central America as well? You know, so uh, that's that's what, just what's pops up in my mind. Yeah. Yeah, maybe it's they're just putting China up there, but there's they're doing that with others. I don't know. It's definitely contentious, yeah. uh, weird relationship we have with China. We rely on them so much and they rely on us and. And yeah, we're poking, poking them with the stick. <laughs> I don't know. Well, hey, let's jump into the next article from Fox Business. Home foreclosures are on the upswing nationwide. What do you guys know about that? And they're talking mainly single family. I know you guys are all multifamily. I think that one thing to take into consideration is that we had essentially a foreclosure moratorium for almost three years, almost three years. We had a foreclosure moratorium and we also had, a, you know, billions, if not trillions of dollars that flowed into the economy that allowed people who, you know, chose to not work or chose to not make their payments or should not have you know, been able to afford their home at the time uh, anyways, regardless of, you know, whatever their effect was of COVID, that they were able to stay above water or at least make their, you know, minimum payment at, at the bare minimum for quite a period of time. And now that's just coming to fall. You know, at the end of the day, we delayed a lot of those foreclosures through throwing money into the economy that shouldn't have been there. And now it's time, you know, where, now that the faucet is shut off and the moratorium is ended and people have to start making their full payments without having some sort of additional economic incentive, those people who probably would have foreclosed anyways, regardless of COVID, are now going to, they're coming into the marketplace and they're being foreclosed on. Holy smokes, you I nailed it. I agree more. <laughs> Good one. That's awesome. Yeah, the article. Tackle that played, a yeah. little bit further. Um, yeah. I, what I've noticed, I have quite a few friends in the fintech space, cyberspace, and a lot of these major, major companies are on hiring freezes, layoffs, etc. And it makes me think, and kind of 
speculate out like if we look what happened when musk acquired twitter and uh you know what got rid of 70 percent of the staff you know and so between obviously interest rates not only affect real estate but also it does certainly affect these large co companies as well mixed with just seeing such a such, such a public spectacle of you know slimming down the herd per se i, I definitely think a lot of these larger larger companies in the in the the fintech and you know cyberspace and et cetera are, are kind of following suit and so um i think really just in, in a broad sense the that late that higher caliber of labor force right now is is having a hard time between um, transitioning to a new job after the whole COVID thing a lot of these companies are pulling people back into the office um, America, as we know it, is extremely entitled to work from home and do whatever they want. <laughs> and so I think there's there's a lot to unpack there that's going to be, um, you know, hurting uh, on top of that delayed foreclosure period as well. So. Yep. It was saying uh, current levels are well below below what was seen in 2008. So even though it seems like the dams burst and you know the sky's falling it's the reality is that it's not not crazy and we don't expect it to be anywhere near 2008 fingers crossed right jim did you have any comments on that i mean everybody covered pretty much everything i have in mind the only thing i have to say is um unemployment hasn't come down even though we have rising debt so i wonder how that's going to play out in the next year um because you know that's that that's where it comes down to right if people cannot afford paying their mortgage that if that, that they, they would they would be jobless but now right now economy is still very strong so i i yeah. just don't know how and I'm not seeing any foreclosure, especially in California. I don't know about you guys in other markets. So, um, yeah, so there, there's still a lag time. I believe it's still going to take a while for all this to play out. Yeah. Yeah, I know there's some some guys that are, you know, in the REO space in my EXP group that, uh, you know, went through the last downturn, did a ton of work on the, that but they're not seeing much. It's starting to pop a little bit. They're, they're kind of getting ready again where it was just like crickets, you know, for quite a few years. But um, I know like uh, Texas, there's some things starting to, to come about there. But like I was asking, hey, what's going on in Denver? Is, should I be ready? Should I be starting to learn that space? And the, the answer was no, nothing's really happening. Few things popping up, but nothing to get too too rallied behind. So, well, hey, uh, let's take a break and hear from our next sponsor. It's me again, Antonio Holman, founder of United States Real Estate Investor and producer of This Month in Real Estate Investing. You know, one of the best ways to increase your company's brand awareness and increase warm leads is to create written content online. But as we know, content creation can be very time consuming and not very cost effective when having to pay professional copywriting fees. It's time to use REI Content Packs. 
REI Content Packs Done For You Content Packs give you the tools, flexibility, and cost-effective way to increase your brand's visibility and online presence without spending hours or even days stressing on what to create. REI Content Packs are a collection of high-quality, ready-made real estate blog articles exclusively created for the real estate investing industry. Can you imagine the possibilities if you could do two to three more deals per month without increasing your ad spend? REI Content Packs can help you do that. Can you imagine getting unlimited online traffic, increasing your Google ranking, getting more leads, and making more money? REI Content Packs can help you do that too. To get started increasing your brand's content and lessening your workload, head on over to thismonthinrealestateinvesting.com slash REI Content Packs. That's thismonthinrealestateinvesting.com forward slash REI Content Packs. It's time to get off the online marketing hamster wheel. Try REI Content Packs today at thismonthinrealestateinvesting.com slash REI Content Packs. Now back to James and This Month in Real Estate Investing. All right. From Business Insider, why the housing market sucks for both buyers and sellers. In that article, it did say that uh, sales are projected to plummet to 4.1 million, which is the lowest in a decade since actually since 1995, I believe it was actually saying. So um, it's all driven by mortgage rates and home prices. Uh, what are you guys seeing? I think that this is an effect of the fact that there's been so much cheap money that was put into the marketplace. And I can tell you right now, I'm in my home office in my basement of a duplex that my wife and I bought on a VA loan during the middle of COVID. Uh, we put 5% down on it. Uh, so we bought it for half a million dollars approximately. We put $17,000 down on it. Our, we have a fixed rate mortgage for the next 30 years at 2.75%. We have a tenant who lives upstairs that pays $2,600 a month. And our monthly mortgage taxes and insurance is $2,700 a month. I don't need this home. Not ever. Never, ever will I ever sell this property because of the fact that their interest rates are so low. You couldn't, if someone walked up to me and offered to pay $600,000 for this house, we bought it for 500 a year and a half ago, I wouldn't sell. Yeah. And they wouldn't buy it for 600 because the what rate that they would be paying would be, you know, what, five? right now for a standard mortgage today seven not, not a commercial loan but a normal fha loan is what five and seven. i'm at half that so their yeah, mortgage no. would be double mine and they yeah. would not do it it wouldn't make financial sense for them to buy it so those who were smart and refinanced or acquired assets when the interest rates were so low should keep them oh yeah forever yeah, they're, not, they're not moving and they probably overpaid <laughs> Like they, they probably overpaid. And if they were smart and smart owners and or investors, they should have overpaid in order to buy a great property back then. But then guess what? Because people overpaid, now homeowners think their values and the comps say that the value of your home should be 600. But it's not worth 600 because this same buyer today can't afford to pay 600 for it. So just you're going to have less inventory hitting the marketplace because it doesn't make sense to sell 
because you can't replace it with with another asset that's you know another property the same payment or even a yeah for the same payment you would pay you'd get a property that's 30 percent less cost and value so i hope you bought a property that you like <laughs> and that you want to stay in if you bought a property and can't afford a better house at a higher price point in the next couple of years yep you nailed it that's that's what i'm seeing as a i'm an agent you know um i focus on the investing side but i i do have my finger on the pulse of just the regular buyers and sellers and you nailed it like the sellers aren't going to move they can't afford to to move or they're gonna have to doubt have to downsize because of those interest interest rates so the only people that are selling they're going through divorce a forced job transfer things like that where they just have to sell otherwise it doesn't make any sense you know from the job buy. transfer business they should turn their property into a rental there's yep. a lot of accidental landlords that are millionaires now from you know times in which they were forced to move you know whether it be for schools or a job transfer but they just kept their property and became an accidental landlord right now would be a great time to be starting a property management company mm -hmm. yeah, yeah i think all, all sorry go ahead Chad. <clears throat> yeah I, I agree. I think all great parties come to an end, and uh, this is certainly certainly another one of them, right? We've been we've been going through a quantitative easing period for for many 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 years now, and eventually, you know, the Fed just runs out of levers to pull uh, to combat what's what's really been the repercussions of it over time. And so now, what you're seeing is is new levers get created, right? We have you know Biden's attempt at creating programs to. Um, low income people be able to afford to buy a house with with no money down and and next to nothing interest rates etc cetera, etc cetera. so now we're not only not only did we run out of levers to pull but now we're creating more of them and uh it, it'll just be interesting to see how this all plays out but point being like you know, yeah of course of course the market can suck right now for both buyers and sellers but at, this, at the end of it all it's just like well what what did we really expect yeah. <laughs> did we really expect to come from all of this guys like so it's to me it's almost it's comical unfortunately but you know yeah yeah i have these conversations with sellers that you know they they're thinking in the past of what their properties were worth and having to come to a realization that it's not worth what it was so i'm seeing tons of listings that are they're doing price reductions you know and, yeah. and part of that's the fault of the agents that are letting the the seller steer the ship when they should know better and and start at a lower price that's reasonable that's actually going to get traction and sell quickly and for the the most money then the other conversations i have are with buyers everybody's like there's no getting around affordability for one right an eight percent seven eight percent loan they just can't afford what they could before right so they're having to come back down to reality but they're also sitting there going oh i'm just going to wait until prices come down a little more and and the those loan rates come down well the they should actually kind of think about it differently 
even if they get in at a 7% rate right now, get something they can afford. If the rates come down at least a point, they can refi um, and, and not be in competition with every other buyer that is waiting for those rates to come down. Cause as soon as the rates come down to where people think, okay, now it's time to buy, then we're back into, you know, offers over asking and that same nightmare that it had been for buyers. So uh, they got to just kind of get, get the, the big picture and think about, well, maybe, maybe now is the time to buy. So that's my rant for the day. Especially if you can afford a large down payment in order to offset the affordability factor. If you can do that, if you can come to the table with 30% down and just decrease your debt, then that will help your affordability. So true. You are you have to ask people to do the one thing that Americans don't ever want to do, which is make sacrifices and save money. Make sacrifices. <laughs> sell your bmw and buy a rusty honda move out of that you know three bedroom because you need a separate office into a one and a half bedroom you know like people don't like making sacrifices they'd rather just not save and just be renters for life and those people i'll happily provide them with a home i have 700 places for them to live <laughs> there you go and grow <laughs> nice Okay, so our next article from the New York Post, broker commission system that charges up to 6% could face antitrust probe. Are either of you guys, it looks like Jim dropped off, you familiar with this, this lawsuit? Yeah, I think it's, I don't know, I think it's absolutely crazy to consider it antitrust, considering how many different brokerage firms there are in the industry. Um, there's, you know, probably two dozen national brokerages that have probably the majority of the foothold, but then you have all of these micro brokerages in every single town and neighborhood and city across the country and each individual agent in each one of those offices has the capability to set their own fees. And each seller has their opportunity to be able to negotiate that fee with that agent or broker every single time they sign a listing agreement. Yep. So how do you have a have a antitrust issue? Now I could see it against the National Association of Realtors because they teach you that you should charge a you know five percent commission, but commissions are also relative to, to the value of the asset. If you're selling a $40,000 house, you should be earning a 10% commission because you do the same amount of work as you do selling a $100,000 house. I mean, and who's going to work for, you know, a buyer and a seller to get a property across the finish line that is only making, you know, let's, at, when I was an agent, as a residential agent, every single transaction took at least 20 hours of time minimum. And that was even on the broker side, like on that listing side. So if you're working 20 hours and you're and you're making, you know, a thousand dollars on a, on a $40,000 house. I mean, you basically, you only have one factor that you're going to try to do. You're going to try to minimize that number of hours you dedicate to actually truly marketing in that property for sale. Yeah. Um, so yeah. 
Yep. 100%. Yeah. The and percentage. You get what you pay for at the end of the day, every time, every single time. You get what you pay for. And that agent will sell you who does better, who's a better negotiator, who has a team of four, you know, assistants underneath them. Your property will better photos. It'll sell faster for a higher price, but they're going to charge for it because they have expenses. Or you can hire your aunt Florence. She's going to go in there with her, her iPhone and she's going to take pictures with her own phone because she has no staff and no skill when it comes to negotiating and no capacity to actually truly professionally market your property. So you always get what you pay for and you can always find somebody to sell your property for a 2% commission if you want to. Or you can do it yourself. You can. Good luck. Figure it out. And how much is your time worth, Mr. Doctor, selling your million dollar house? <laughs> and then this little old lady selling her $40,000 house, how skilled is she going to be at selling her own home? She's going to end up getting taken advantage of by some off the street buyer snake, you know, who's going to buy her house as opposed to four. They'll buy it for 40, but it's really worth 60. And have no one representing her best interests. You nailed it. Nailed it. <laughs> wow. Yep. It reminds me of uh, one of my buddy's companies. He does, he does uh, solar panel cleaning. And he's easily double the price of everybody else, easily. Hmm. And, um, you know, people call him up for a quote all the time. Man, you're twice the price of the last guy we called. Okay, great. Go with him. No problem. But, Mr. Customer, let me ask you this. Do you, do you, you, know, do you know if they use these chemicals, these chemicals, and these chemicals? Are they licensed for that? What happens if somebody slips and falls off your roof? Or do you know if they're actually fully insured for that level of of risk and, and you just list off all the reasons why you know they're the white glove service right and ultimately he found the perfect niche of, of high net worth affluent individuals here in the arizona and um he can charge double the price because he offers double the service and you know that's the beauty of america right we live in a capitalistic society and uh i i i couldn't agree more with you lee yeah quality always and yeah, they have yeah. options. You want to list your house yourself? Go for it. Go for it. Put it on Zillow. Yeah, yeah. This is going to be interesting. I mean, it's it's the Department of Justice is suing NAR National Association of Realtors, but also there's some other other lawsuits popping up, um, and some of those big uh, brokerages like Keller Williams, they're they're like a McDonald's, you know, who are you going to go after? Um, you're going to go after the big ones, right? So there's some big numbers they're talking. Uh, and this may, I don't know what it would mean, but if if NAR goes down because of this, it, it, could, it could really shake things up. Um, and the other thing that this is kind of talking about with the commissions is that, you know, currently, you know, they're talking about the 6%. That's just, that's a target, sure, uh, where the listing broker makes three and then they pay the buying broker three, as an example. Um, if this goes down, they want it to be transparent for one. Fine. That's that's what we've been doing with, with my group at EXP is, is making that transparent so the buyers can see what that buyer agent is making um 
but this is going to kind of split it off to where the listing agent could just get their three and not offer to pay the buyer agent. So the buyer agent's going to have to come up, get an agreement with their buyer to have the buyer pay them directly. Where normally it came out of that 6% say was coming out of the purchase price of the house. So they would raise the price to cover that, right? In this case, that purchase price is going to be lower, but a buyer is going to have to come out of pocket with whatever they agree to. Uh, and most buyers don't have that money, you know, especially new home buyers where they're trying to get in with as little down as possible. And they're going to have to work out something where they have you know, maybe they have to borrow that from outside the transaction or like maybe they just, what we've been doing is they can offer more for the home and fold that extra commission into their, their loan, which yeah, is you write it in on the HUD. Yeah. You yeah, write exactly. it in on the HUD is another closing cost on the buyer side. Yeah. Easy day, you just you know take out a slightly higher loan or put a slightly higher down payment on it. Right, um, but it sounds real... like they're sounds like they're trying to eliminate that, so that's not an option. That's gonna hand tie everybody, right? In commercial, there's no buy rep fee. The listing agent does not split the commission at all with the buyer's agent, and if the buyer decides that they need their own independent representation on the contract outside of their normal legal fees that we pay for attorneys to do, then you have to eat that cost. The the buyer very rarely do large scale commercial brokerages split the fee with another broker from another office at all, ever. So you're also dealing with a completely different type of person. Someone who's buying a commercial asset should be, you know, a, uh, a more sophisticated person than someone who's buying their very first home. Like, you know, yeah, yeah, it's a different level. Yeah, Antonio pointed out here there's a Missouri lawsuit seeking up to four billion in damages, and another one in Illinois shooting for 40 billion. Wow, there's blood in the water. <laughs> I don't necessarily, I never really understood the value of, I mean, they have the, um, National Association of Realtors is really just to be able to get people to pay fees and then take training classes on how not to screw over grandmas. That's literally what they all they try to teach you. That's the only use they have. They make you sign a piece of paper that nobody ever reads. It's really just a fee structure for them to make money in the association. I've never seen any value in the Association of Realtors at all. And I think that if they get they end up folding because of this. The industry will stay the same. The corporations and the major brokerages control most of the laws that happen in the states, not the association of realtors. They'll just be fewer lobbyists and few, and agents will pay fewer fees, you know, whatever it costs. I don't even remember what it is, but it always seemed like just one thing that you're like, ah, whatever, I have to do it. Yep. Yeah. We're required to be members of that. I think yeah. It's, yeah. Six, seven hundred bucks a year. Something yeah, like that. like you pay yeah, $700 a year to sign a piece of paper that tells you don't screw up a grandma's. Yeah, like you know, your broker should hold you accountable to that, and that's why you have ENO insurance too. Yeah, 
looks like we lost Chad. Um, let's go to the next one from Fox Business. Real estate powerhouse rejuvenates downtown Miami with $1.1 billion investment. Let's see. Over the last year, downtown Miami's seen over $15 billion poured into nearly 20 real estate projects to meet the demand for residential, commercial, and hotel spaces. Yeah, so I can take on this one. Um, yeah, thanks. I invest in out there in Orlando, Jacksonville. I've seen a you know a lot of population growth, job growth, especially um, people from California moving there. But also during pandemic, um, a lot of businesses from New York are moving their operation down to Florida. So that's that could be an indicator of what's causing all this rising boom in Miami, because everybody's getting pushed down south. And that's why um, the we're able to increase our rent by 55% upon taking wow. over the project in Orlando and Jacksonville. In what time period? Uh, this is um, 2021. Okay. Wow. Between 2021 and 2022. Yeah, that's crazy. It says in this article, uh, this guy, um, his firm putting together some private residences and they're, they're creating a pedestrian only neighborhood, which is cool. You definitely see it time and time again, where development comes in and it spurs additional growth and benefit to the community as a whole. So if you can plant one new development in the center of a community that's struggling you're going to find that the rest of the community starts growing and help and benefiting from from that one single new development so i'm i'm pro development i think that development is beneficial for smaller neighborhoods that may not necessarily be doing as good and other areas if you're if your house and if the house next door gets torn down and some other guy builds a brand new house right next to you, that's a good thing. It means your house is worth a lot more. It means some other guy thinks that your place is worth uh, one and a half times replacement costs, basically. They can tear your house down, throw it in the dumpster. The land value is worth what your house is worth or what that house was worth and then build a brand new one on top of it. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah. it's That's fascinating, The the whole dynamic of... It's like cart before the horse, you know, or I, I don't know if that's the right comparison, but yeah, you, you develop things flourish around you, or you build homes and then they need businesses. They need that super center grocery store and all the other types of businesses, but you can also build those businesses and then there becomes a need for more housing as people want to live there. Right. Any other comments on uh, Miami, guys? I want to see what that $50 million condo looks like. That'd be pretty sweet. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's by no surprise. You know, in 2022, Florida had grown by over 300,000 net, net in migration. You know, I mean, there's a reason why people want to be there. Yeah. You go look at the opposite. Cal obviously California is going to be at the bottom of the list, you know? Um, so 
pro development, pro business, and people people want to live there. So it's a it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. All right. Hey, we got uh, our fun news item from Inside Hook. The lifestyle change that simulates falling in love. It's a study from the University of Zurich found that a person with a one hour commute to work would need to earn 40% more money to match the satisfaction of someone who walks. Um, it's talking about um, incorporating walking into your daily routine um, and enjoying those walks during breaks and stuff leading to a sense of happiness that's similar to falling in love. Yeah. I got something personal yeah. on this. I mean, me and me and my sweetheart, we probably walk two and a half to three miles together every single day, like wow. clockwork and, um, you know, talk about our relationships, our, you know, our faith, our goals as a couple, all these, all these really powerful things. And so for me, stacking those two on top of one another, it, it, it does lead to in a very, very sincere and profound level of happiness in, in my personal life to the point where, you know, it'll be midday. I'm like, all right, I got to go for a walk. So yeah. yeah, highly, highly recommend walking. There's so many health benefits to it. And um, yeah. 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 I found the same thing. So I sold my house. I'd call it the ghetto. Um, <laughs> I was kind of in, in between a brand new development and East Colfax in Denver. It's like real life zombies walking around there. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd see the cops with their lights going every other day, just down the block. Like I did not want to walk there. I would go the opposite way, go walk around the nice new neighborhood. Um, but then I sold that house. I had just had to get out of there and I moved in with a friend in a gated community, golf course community, I walk around and, you know, I'm seeing deer and rabbits and bobcats and it's just a whole different place to walk. Um, but it just, it helps me clear my head, you know, like I was actually forced to do that. I had both of my hips replaced in 2019 and rehab is walking. So they're like, go walk every day. I was like, wow, this is the best thing ever <laughs> having my hips replaced, but now I'm getting out forced to get out. And now I just, I crave it, you know, if I can't get out and walk. So I, I see where they're, they're, uh, get what they're getting at in this article. Um, it's like getting a dog, like yeah, having a dog extends your life. Yeah. Well, does it extend your life because you're, you feel like your heart is moving more because of your dog or is it because you're out walking them more often? Like, you know, I would imagine that if you gave every person who weighed 500 pounds a dog and said, you have to walk this dog three to four times a day, at least a minimum of a mile a day in order for this thing that you love in order to, you know, not live a horrible lifestyle, they would probably get out and they'd walk their dog and they'd probably go from 500 to 400 pounds. Yeah. Yeah. And, live, and live five years longer. Yeah. But Yeah. I got mine laying right next to me and he makes me walk him at least four times a day as much as possible. <laughs> nice. Yeah. One point too, is that uh, they're, they give these walkability scores, you know, you can look that up and 
they're adding that to listings because it's definitely a, a benefit. People are starting to realize that, right? Yeah, my parents don't exercise, um, so I try to force take them out for a walk uh, at least four times a week just so oh. they can get some exercise in. Um, but besides that, I also read an article a few days ago that um, since we are in the information technolo uh, technology world now, everybody's so used to just sitting in front of the computer all day and and not get up. And, and it's actually very efficient and productive if, you're t if you take uh, a break every hour or so and get up to walk for five to 10 minutes. So it's, that's, you know, it's kind of aligns with what this article is about. Yep, yep. Well, hey guys, that's our show for this month. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Jason Palliser's Two-Day Investment Blueprint and REI Content Packs. Again, thanks to you guys, Lee Fjord, Jim Lee, Chad Whitfelt. Um, in that order, Lee, Jim, and Chad, Go ahead and let people know how they can connect with you if you want to be connected. And uh, we'll go from there. Yeah. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, uh, Lee Fjord. It's, I'm pretty sure if you type that in, you'll find only me. Uh, there's only one Lee Fjord. It's not like Mike Smith or something. Uh, or uh, at greenforestcapital.com. You can go to my website, schedule a call with me at greenforestcapital.com. We'd love to jump on and have a conversation with anybody about uh, how we can help them meet their investing goals. Cool. Jim? Yeah. So people can connect me at formosainvesting.com. Um, also, I'm on social media links such as uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at Formosa Investing. You can find me at Chad Whitfelt on all the social media platforms and say hello. Fantastic. Thanks, guys. Again, I'm your host, James Brown, and I show people how to make safe double-digit returns through our hybrid investing model. Uh, go to hybridinvestor.vip to learn more. Also, huge thanks to our big cheese, Antonio Holman with United States Real Estate Investor. Follow and subscribe to This Month in Real Estate Investing on YouTube at youtube.com slash at United States REI or your favorite podcast app. Uh, if you run across any interesting news, events, or have a good suggestion for a guest, feel free to share by emailing Antonio at United States Real Estate Investor.com. And remember, when one door closes, another door opens to financial freedom. Thanks, guys.